0: Thank you for this day. We thank you for scripture and your spirit. May your son, Lord God, reveal himself and may the will of the father be present amongst all of us. May we know what to do and may we get, be about the father's business. In Jesus name we pray and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Turn in your Bibles to first Corinthians chapter 16 and this will be the very last message from First Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter 16, starting at verse 13 and 14. And while you guys are turning there, while we were worshiping, I was thinking in my head about the sound, how, you know, we're going to have to project and there's no audio and yada, yada, yada. And I began to recall when I was like a, a wee one. I remember being four years old, five years old, six years old, seven years old, and my uncle would grab his sandal and chuck it at my head. My aunts would chase me around the room. My cousins would always tell me to be quiet because I had a voice that carried. I didn't matter what part of the room I was in, what part of the house I could be outside. Everybody knew where I was because they could hear me. Now, they used to make fun of me back then, but God knew, right, for such a time as this. So no mic, no problem, right? We're going to be able to get into God's word and learn just the same. So 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13 and 14. You remember Paul gives five commands. Now specifically, what kind of commands are they? Do you remember? Military commands. This is drill sergeant Paul, and he's saying, these are your final marching orders. These are the last commands I'm giving you before I'm no longer going to communicate. I am going to no longer write letters. Next time you hear from me, you'll see me in person. So he's writing first Corinthians and he's wrapping it up with these five commands. Now, the interesting thing is five of them or five commands, four of them are very similar. One is very different. And we're going to look at that right now. So first Corinthians chapter 16, starting at verse 13. He says, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men. Be strong. Number four, and here's the fifth one. Let all that you do be done in love. So the fourth command is be strong. And the word literally means to become strong, to be made mighty. And there's two things, two ways in which Paul writes this that is very unique and specific for us. Number one, when we're talking about strength, Notice and know that it's a process. Has anybody ever hurt themselves and had to be rehabilitated? Yeah? So I broke my arm. I had rods put in, you know, uh, you know, on the slopes. Had surgery. Was in a cast for, I think, two months. And when the cast came off and the, the pins were removed, this arm was about half the size of this arm. The muscles had just completely atrophied, and it was small. Now, in rehab, what do we know about strength? Does it come back right away? Absolutely not. It's a what? Process. It takes a very long time to acquire strength. If you've gone to the gym, you don't just walk up to the gym and start bench, bench pressing 500 pounds. You don't start squatting 600 pounds. The newbie goes in there and they realize how weak they really are. Now, if the weak person wants to become strong, what do they have to do? Work out. How many times? One time? Two times? It's a process. It is a process. A little bit at a time. Doing the right thing over and over and over again over a long period of time, that equals results. So when the Bible is commanding us to be strong, know it's a process. How many times did Jesus rebuke his apostles? (laughs) All the time. Why? Because they were weak. And ironing out those kinks, takes time. Here's the second thing of the five verbs. Four of them are active verbs, meaning the ball is in your court. So when Paul is saying, be on the alert, he says, here's the ball balls in your court, your job, be on alert, have your eyes open, have your head on a swivel, understand what's going on. That's your job. It's an active verb. Number two, stand firm in the faith is an active verb. This is the Holy Spirit commanding the believer, do your job. Number three, act like men. That is the man's responsibility to be courageous, to act like a man. The ball is in his court. Number four, a passive verb. So it doesn't read, be strong. This is not the command saying, Chris, pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Chris, summon your strength from within. Chris, figure it out. Chris, embrace the grind and push through. It's the word be strengthened. It's a passive verb. Literally in Greek, it's be being strengthened. So one, you're in a process. And two, that process is not your strength. It is whose strength? It's God's strength being given to you. You are the recipient. This is a passive command. Who's the active one behind it, God? And he is the one who is there to strengthen you, to empower you, to equip you. Now, when it comes to strength, then we need two things. Number one, I need to know who I really am. And number two, I need to know who I really am with Christ. You see, when I remove Chris or Christ from Chris, number one, I realize I'm weak. I am a very weak man. And when I realized that, then number two, I realized that I could become powerful when you add the cross and Chris becomes Christ. I become powerful in that. That's the key. This is what Paul is commanding the Corinthians. One, know who you are. And then two, know who you are with Christ. And when you do that, now the playing field is open. Now the opportunity is ripe. For God to empower you and to give you his might so that you can find success. Do you know what the problem with the Corinthians were? When they, they when Paul commanded them to be on alert, what was their problem? They were asleep. When Paul said, stand firm, what, were, what was the problem? They weren't standing firm. They were all over taking human philosophies in. And they were throwing away the power of the gospel. When Paul says, act like men, what were the men doing? Not acting like men. Who were the ones that called Paul and said, Hey, Paul, you know, I'm, I'm ringing you up. I'm writing you a letter because the church is a mess and nobody's doing anything about it. Who did that? Chloe and her girlfriends did that. Throughout the whole church, there were no leaders, no male real leaders. So what does Paul say? Act like men. Now he says, be strong. Know who you are. You're weak. Know who you are in Christ. You're strong. What do you think the Corinthians had? What problem do you think they had? Consistency is one, but humility. They didn't know they were weak. They thought they were strong. They thought they didn't need Christ like they thought they needed Christ. And what happened to the church at Corinth? We spent a year on it. Were they a good church or a bad church? Were they a holy church or a sinful church? They were horrific. Paul writes them in chapter 3 and says, your whole life is categorized by the flesh. You, we're looking at your life, and you don't look like you're even saved. Your entire life is fleshly. Why? Because in their mind, they thought they were strong. The, the truth was, they were weak. Look at chapter 4. I realize we don't have the Bible verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Starting at verse six. And this was the error of the Corinthian way. And this is the error we must avoid. They were proud. First Corinthians chapter four and verse six. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sakes. So that in us, you may learn not to exceed what is written. So that no one of you will become arrogant. In behalf of one against the other. The word arrogant here is found eight times in the Bible, seven times in first Corinthians. It means puffed up. If you have a King James, it says puffed up. And it literally means to be expanded to maximum capacity. Instead of being full of the spirit, they were full of hot air. They had a big head puffed up. They were reached maximum capacity of arrogance because of their view of themselves. Verse 7. For who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? You are already filled. Now, this is the apostle being sarcastic. You have already become rich. You have already become kings without us. And indeed, I wish that you had become kings so that we might also reign with you. For I think... Now, here's the comparison between the humility of the apostles and the pride of the Corinthian church. For I think God has exhibited us apostles last of all as men condemned to death Because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. Now listen to this. That word spectacle that he uses here, it's very specific. And it's specifically tied to the Roman triumphs. Does anybody know or heard of the Roman triumphs? So when the Romans go and let's say they conquered Germania, or they they went and they conquered Britannia, or they conquered some colony or some province they would then have a military parade. And this was called the triumph. And they would triumphantly go into Rome. And at the very back of this triumph was the spectacle. And it's this Greek word that Paul is using. Now the spectacle was the fallen generals of the other military. They had been taken captive. They were put into chains and they were being led into the Colosseum or to a fighting arena. And there they would be fed to the animals or there they would be fed to the gladiators and they would be a spectacle to all in their death. Paul is saying us as the apostles are that way. We're chained. We're marching to our death. And meanwhile, we're showing our humility and look at the church at Corinth. Meanwhile, verse 10, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are without honor. To this present hour, we are hung both hungry and thirsty, and are poorly clothed. We are roughly treated and homeless. We toil, working with our hands. We are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become, as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even unto now. And I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I exhort you, be imitators of me. For this reason I have sent Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of the ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Now, verse 18. Now, some of you have become, and there's our word, puffed up, as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I shall find out, not with words of those who are arrogant, puffed up, but their power. And this is the the warning uh, I'm going to tell your dad when he gets home. That's the typical warning. Just wait until your father gets home. And Paul is saying, you guys are so arrogant, so puffed up. You don't even need us, but I'm going to show up to the church, not in power, but, or not with word, but power. And we'll see who's true, and who is false. So when it comes to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, we are to be strengthened. We are to be strong. In 1 Corinthians 10, I'll just read it to you, verse 12 and 13. Again, we see the Corinthian error. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. No temptation has overcome you, but as such is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. So verse 12 says, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. Now the first 11 verses was Israel. And he says look at ancient Israel. Now what happened to Israel in the wilderness? Ultimately what did God do? He he judged the unfaithful generation. He judged them, but what was their error? In verses 1 through 11 Paul says it's pride. And therefore he says take heed lest you fall. See, they were boastful that they were Abraham's seed. I'm Abraham's father. They were boasting in the covenants, the promises, that they were given the word of God, that they were God's chosen people. Over and over, the Jews had been God's selected chosen people. Not because they were smart or cute or more more in multitude than any other tribe, but because God set his affection on them. And he called them by name. And Israel is Yahweh's, Jehovah's wife, the Old Testament says. And yet, even with all the the adv- advantages they had, they still messed it up. Why? They never trusted God. They never really believed in Him. They just were uh, banking on the fact that they were of the forefathers. They were given the covenants. They were given the Word of God. And Paul says, watch yourself. Don't fall into that same camp. Don't think that you have it all figured out, lest what? You fall. Don't think you're you're standing on solid ground when you are not. Don't think you're better than you really are, lest you fall. So, number one, I said, when it comes to being strengthened, I must, very first part, know who I am really. In, in the 1990s, and I was a part of this movement, they would send counselors to school and they would start putting into the curriculum this, this whole nonsense of, um, what is it? Self-esteem. You know, it was this whole thing like love yourself, self-esteem, elevate yourself, this, that, and the other. And what that breeded was entitlement. And people think they're entitled when they're not. This world owes you nothing, Nobody owes you anything. The white man doesn't owe anybody anything. Nobody is entitled. Nobody is entitled. Pride, our own desires, our own will, our flesh, we begin to manipulate the truth and think that we are owed something we are not. The Bible says, point blank, that you and I and all of humanity are very weak. And that is the starting point to strength is realizing the Bible's diagnosis, prognosis of you. The reality is you are a weak man and a very weak woman. And how do I know this? We have to go to um, alcohol, drugs. We have to turn to um What is that thing called? The prescription where you take antidepressants and we have to do all these different things to try to make ourselves feel better, yada, yada, yada. That is just trying to mask our weakness. The Bible's very, very direct. Mankind is very weak. And there are three reasons. Number one, mortality. Turn your Bibles to Genesis 3. Genesis 3, verse 19. Now Adam and Eve had fallen in the garden, God judged the serpent, God has judged the woman, and now God is in the process of judging Adam, man. And verse 19 is the judgment. Genesis 3:19. And this is the first reason why if you really want to be strong, you got to realize you're weak and it's because you are a mere mortal. Genesis 3:19. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground because from it you were taken For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. There is God's death sentence on all of humanity right there. Because of what? The wages of sin leads to death. And that's God's death sentence across all of mankind. And in fact, across all of creation. From jump street, from sin, we have now become mortal. It's interesting, average lifespan is about 70, 76 years old. Do you know when the human body begins to start deteriorating? No, you're actually, you're, you're producing more cells in your body. You're repairing your body faster than it's breaking down. You're, you're gaining muscle and bone density for women up until about 20. And then they're on the backside. Men, 22 is our biological peak, if you will. 22 years old. That means for about five sevenths of your entire life, you're in decay. You are on. You're literally just heading to the grave. Now, here's the next thing. Suppose I'm 22, prime of my life, strong. What happens if a virus comes and wipes me out, or a bacteria, or a fungi, or somebody runs a red light, or I just so happen to get a blood clot that reaches my heart? It doesn't matter if you are peak. It doesn't matter if you can bench press 600. None of that matters. Why? Because you will die like everybody else, which will always make us weak. We will always be weak because the threat of mortality is always alive. Psalm chapter 103 says this. Psalm 103, and you don't have to turn there if you're not quick on your trigger finger. Psalm 103 and verse 14. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. As for men, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. And when the wind has passed over, it is no more. And its and its place acknowledges it no longer. What does that say? The brevity of man is what? Very short. Lifespan of man, very short. Here's the second reason why you and I are super weak. Not only because we are mortal but because we are immoral. Not because just we're mortal, but because of sin. We are sinful. Look at Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7 and verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, But the doing of the good is not. Show of hands, have you ever desired to honor, serve God, do what God wanted to do, and then you realize you're doing the exact opposite? Anybody ever realized that before? Well, so all four of us have? Okay, for all the other holy ones, (laughs) for all the other holy ones, you can give us a tip. But for the rest of us, it shows the power of the fallen flesh, that it is always at war with God. The Bible says my flesh is at enmity or at war with God. I am in a living battle with God in my flesh. Now, does that make you stronger or weaker when you have the spirit who wants to serve and the flesh who does not want to serve? Does that make you a stronger individual or a weaker individual? Weaker. Now, turn to Galatians chapter 5, and I want to prove to you that sin causes you and I to be weak. And this is why in our own strength, we cannot do things. Galatians 5 verse 17. For the flesh sets its desires against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh for they are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things you please. Now go to verse 19. Here's our test. We're going to do this test aloud. There are three groups of fleshly sin. First group, is the sexual sins, and we'll read that on this list. Second is the sacrilegious sins, sins against God. And then the third is social sins. Those are sins against who? Each other, right? The sins that I cause and I hurt you and vice versa. He's going through this list of the flesh, and we're going to see if these things make you stronger or a weaker human. Verse 19, these are the sexual sins. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality. These are the sexual sins of the flesh. So let me ask you a question. If I run out and cheat on my wife, is that going to make my union with her stronger or weaker? If I do that, is my relationship with this church going to be stronger for it or weaker? If one of your spouses goes and starts mingling with somebody at their job, They start paying the secretary a little bit more time than they ought to. Whatever. Is that going to make your relationship stronger or weaker? You sleep with somebody, you get an STD. Is that going to make you stronger or is that going to make you weaker? Weaker. You see how sexual sins weaken your strength. It takes life from you. Remember uh, David, he said, when I was in sin, what happened? My bones were rotting away. When we sin, it destroys every aspect of us, including the physical aspect. So sexual sins make you weaker. Now sacrilegious sins or sins against God. Verse 20, idolatry, sorcery. So idolatry, worshiping another God. Sorcery means pharmakai. What English word do we get? Pharmaceuticals. Now specifically, it's referring to mind-altering drugs for the purpose of seeing other spirits. So in Peru, Central America, South America, many parts of Africa, Southeast Asia, uh, the Native Americans, they would make concoctions with, with sticks and roots and leaves or, or get, uh, get substances off of toads or smoke plants or ingest things. And what they would do is begin to have mind trips. They'd begin to hallucinate acid and shrooms and so on and so forth in order to talk to their dead grandmother or in order to to talk to their their long-lost spouse or in order to see the other dimension. Now, when you're serving other gods, mind-altering drugs for the purpose of dark arts and seeing the spiritual world, do you think that strengthens your relationship with God or do you think that weakens your relationship with God? So sins against God weaken you and make you a weak person. Now number three, social sins. Those are sins against who? Each other, right? Look at verse 20. Enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing. If I'm a drunkard, is that going to help me raise my family? If you have a jealous wife, is that going to strengthen your relationship with her? If you are fighting with your family, is your family weaker or stronger? Do you see how you go through every one of these and it proves that when you and I sin, we're weak. And this is what the Bible is trying to illustrate, that you are a sinner, you are weak, you are mortal, you sin, therefore it leads to death. You can't do it on your own. There must be someone, something greater than you. Here's the third thing, pride. Pride kills. Pride absolutely destroys, decimates, and everything. So one might say, well, I'm not a Christian, and I went to med school, and I passed all the tests, and and I went to residency, and I got the good job, and here I am being ultra successful, and I did it all apart from God. That is a lie. This is what the Bible says. All good things come from God. All good things come from God. That means if I am successful, it is not because of me. God gave me every single thing to cause me to succeed. In James chapter 1, verse 17 and 18, James writes, and he says, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. Where does every blessing come from? Where does every success come from? But, but you mean, you mean the business that I got off the ground? You mean the degree that I got on the wall? You mean winning that tournament that I dedicated my life to? That's because of God? Absolutely. Look at Deuteronomy 8. Deuteronomy, and if you don't have this, especially underline verse 18. Deuteronomy 8, verses 11 through 20. Israel is going into the promised land. And God is telling them how great the land is going to be. And then he gives them this warning. Deuteronomy 8 verse 11. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I am commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them. And when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and gold multiply, and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud. And you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He led you through the great terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock of flint. In the wilderness, he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know that he might be hum, he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and my strength and my hands made this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you your power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers. And it is this day, and it shall come about if you ever forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them. I testify against you today that you will surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so you shall perish because you would not listen to the voice of the Lord your God. Verse 18 is powerful. Remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth. So the, the med student that says, I didn't need God. It was God who provided the finance. It was God who provided the university. It was God who provided the mental capacity for you to retain. It was God who gave you the drive and the energy to see it through to the very end. God makes you and I to succeed. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Now, here's my question to you, and you don't have the answer, unfortunately. Why, in this context, is being weak a strength? to grow, okay? To know what to stay away from. Why is being weak in this specific context actually a strength? It gives all the room for faith. Follow that even more. Go beyond faith. There you go. If I am strong and I have success, where does the glory go? It's supposed to go to the Lord, but where does it normally go? Me. Me right? Look at the LeBron Jameses of the world. Look at the highly successful, who gives all the glory to God, who gives all their talents and abilities and all their accomplishments to the Lord. Very few, very, very, very few. But if I am weak and you know, I am weak and I do something supernatural, do something amazing, do something that is beyond measure, beyond my own limits, who gets the glory? God. And that's the truth. Now, turn to Daniel 4. We're going we're gonna to have story time. So we're going to read almost the whole chapter, but it's a very interesting chapter. And you will see how when Nebuchadnezzar was powerful in his own mind, he was weak. And when Nebuchadnezzar became weak in his own mind, he became powerful. And that is what we are called to do. Daniel chapter 4. Here's the context. King Nebuchadnezzar. He's the king of Babylon, most powerful man on the entire planet. What he says goes. He was also given a title. Anybody know King Nebuchadnezzar's title? You may have heard it before. King of kings. That was his title. He was the most powerful superpower on planet Earth. The most powerful man in the world. And he had magi which were wise men. They were counselors. Started in Babylon, went to Persia, ended up being in our Christmas story. These wise men were brilliant men. Science, maths, all kinds of disciplines. He was calling them because Nebuchadnezzar was given a dream. It freaked him out. He didn't know what to do. And there was finally one wise man, one magi who knew what to do. His name was Belteshazzar. Belteshazzar is known as who? Anybody know? Daniel. Daniel. So this king was given a dream. He's freaking out. Nobody can tell it to him. And Belteshazzar, the prophet Daniel, comes alongside and hears his dream. Now we pick up the story. Daniel chapter 4, verse 10. This is his vision. Now these were the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed. I was looking and behold, there was a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong and its heights reached to the sky and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. And its foliage was beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. And the beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the sky dwelt in its branches. And all the living creatures fed themselves from it. And I was looking in the visions, and my mind as I lay in bed, and behold, an angelic watcher, a holy one, descended from heaven. And he shouted out and spoke as follows, Chop down the tree and cut its branches. Strip off its foliage and scatter its fruits. Let the beasts flee from under and the birds from its branches. Yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it and the new grass of the field and let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him share with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let a beast's mind be given to him and let seven periods of time pass over him. This sentence is by decree of the angelic watchers and the decision is a command of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whom he wishes and sets over it the lowliest of men. So the king is telling this to Daniel Daniel's hearing it, and he knows exactly what the vision says. And what do you think Daniel's response is? Mm -hmm. Terrified. He starts to like shake and tremble. Here he's going to tell the most powerful man in the world who can chop him up in a million pieces and nobody would bat an eyelid. And he's about to tell him, hey, that vision's about you, and it's about judgment, And God's judgment on you. And so Daniel's kind of freaking out. He's apprehensive. He doesn't really know what to do. But as the man of God that he is, he tells the truth. And he tells it exactly how God says it. So verse 20, this is now Daniel talking to Nebuchadnezzar. The tree that you saw, which became large and grew strong, whose heights reached to the sky and was visible to all the earth, and whose foliage was beautiful and fruit, abundant in which was food for all under which the beasts of the field dwelt and whose branches the birds of the sky lodged. It is you, O King, for you have become great and grown strong and your majesty has become great and reached to the sky and your dominion to the end of the earth in that the King saw an angelic watcher. A holy one descending from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground. But the band of iron and bronze around it and the new grass of the field, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him share with the beasts of the field. Verse 24. This is the interpretation, O king that you be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place be with the beasts of the field and you be given grass to eat like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. And in that it was commanded to leave the stump with the roots of the tree. Your kingdom will be assured to you after you recognize that it is heaven that rules. Therefore, O king, may my advice be pleasing to you. Here's his advice. Break away now from your sins by doing righteousness from iniquities, showing mercy to the poor, in case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. What does sin do? Make you weaker. Now, a year passes, King Nebuchadnezzar is on his beautiful palace, and he's overlooking all his glorious empire. Stick with me, Maria. I know you're in prayer. He's looking over his entire glorious empire, and then what does King Nebuchadnezzar do? This is what King Nebuchadnezzar does. He looks and he says, Behold what these hands have built. And while the words were still in his mouth, judgment from heaven came, and he was driven into the wilderness as an animal. Now, the trippy thing is, is when God created man, man was to subdue all of creation, right? And here you have the most powerful man in the world being subdued and likened to an animal. Here is the judgment of God. Now, verse 34. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honor him who lives forever. How long did it take Nebuchadnezzar to look up and repent? Seven years. What did I say about being strong? It is a process. Which means you have to be gracious with yourself and you have to be consistent in the right things. Because being strong is a process. For seven years he knew All I had to do was repent. But he also knew it would take him seven years to actually do it before he lifts his eyes to heaven. Now listen to what he says. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. Why? Mortal, sinful, proud. But he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? At that time, my reason returned to me and my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom, and my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out so that I was reestablished in my sovereignty, surpassing the greatness which was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are true and his ways are just and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. King Nebuchadnezzar saw that God restored him and not only did he restore him, he restored him past his surpassing greatness. When King Nebuchadnezzar was strong in his own mind, what was he really? Weak. When he was weak in his own mind, what was he really? Strong. He was really strong. Now turn your Bibles to Second Corinthians, chapter 12. Second Corinthians chapter 12. Now that we know we're weak, we need to trust that God is strong and He is able. Second Corinthians chapter 12 and verse seven. Now this is Paul writing. Second Corinthians 12. Verse 7 through 10. Paul writes, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. So here you have Paul the apostle, and God is allowing Satan's demons to torment test, to torture, to impede him, to in some way buffet him. And God is allowing this to happen. And he says for twice, he says for this reason, God's allowing me to go through this. Why? What was the reason? It's right there in your verse. He says it twice in verse seven. Why did God allow Satan and his demons to buffet Paul so that Paul would not do what? It's right there in the verse. You had it right. Exalt himself. And he says it twice. Why did God allow Paul to go through it? Why? So that Paul would not what? Be proud. Be pride. You know, proud because what happens when you're proud? You are now weak. Now, who was Paul before he became Paul the Apostle? What was his name? What does Saul mean? The enlightened one. Or exalted. Paul changes one letter. And he goes from Saul to Paul. What does Paul mean? Little. It's humble. That's what it means. Saul of Tarsus was a very proud man. He was zealous for the law. He blasphemed God by persecuting the church. He he was very zealous, very religious, but he had it completely wrong. And when he figured things out, that is when he became strong. Verse, um, verse 8. I, oh, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 8. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave verse 9, and he said to me, now this is Christ responding, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with, distr- with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When you come to yourself and now you're leaning into Christ, that's where there's strength. Why? I'm number one. Am I mortal or immortal? mortal, am I sinful or pure, do I have infinite resource, do I have infinite power, does God, when I come to myself, and all of those limiting factors, and I submit, that I'm a weak man, and now I'm leaning into the Lord, his infinite power, His infinite knowledge, his wisdom, now begins to fill me. And just like Nebuchadnezzar, I'm greater after than I was before. Just like Paul, I'm greater after than I was before. When I come to myself, that's when I become strong. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Ephesians 3, verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. From whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, and he that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through what? Whom? Through whom? His spirit in the inner man. who's his spirit? Also known as Christ Spirit, aka the Holy Spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now here, it uses the word dwell in this verse. The last verse we just read, it also uses the word dwell. That's the Greek word tabernacle. What is the tabernacle in the Old Testament? Come on, Chad, stick with me, brother. What's, what's the tabernacle in the Old Testament? It's where the Ark and then the tent of meeting. Now, who would meet there? Man and who? God. So the Ark was where God and man met. And then the Ark goes into Solomon's temple. And then where does God meet man? The glory came onto the temple. And then where does God meet man? In Solomon's temple, right? And then Christ comes. The word uh, in the beginning was the word, John 1 and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then verse 14, and the word became flesh and tabernacled among us as one of the only begotten of the Father, full in grace and truth. So Christ comes, and now how does man meet God? Through Christ. He's our tabernacle. Now Paul is saying, that power of Christ tabernacles in me. The power of Christ is now resting in me. When I look to myself, I'm powerless. When I look to Christ in me, I now become powerful. Do you understand? Does that make sense? He, would, uh, Paul would write Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.1, and he says, My beloved son, therefore be strong in Christ. Be strong in Christ. Now there's three times the Bible says to be strengthened by the Lord. Three conditions. Anybody know? Think of life. Any know, anybody know when the three critical times that we really need strength from the Lord? Because these are three times the Bible says lean into Him for your strength. Be strengthened by Him. There's three scenarios in life. One temptation, we'll call it Satan. So there's Satan, there's service, and then there's circumstance of life. And the Bible says in all three of those things, be strengthened, lean into the Lord, be being strengthened. Number one, when it comes to the enemy, look at Ephesians chapter six, Ephesians chapter six and verse 10. Now these are the times when we are to lean into the Lord specifically. Ephesians six and verse 10, finally be strong or be being strengthened in the Lord. So when the Bible says, be strengthened by the Lord, in what scenario are we to do that specifically? We need to be leaning heavily into Christ. When it comes to what? The schemes. Are we awake, folks? The schemes of the devil. There we go. Number one, we lean into Christ because we have an enemy who's going around seeking whom he may destroy. Two things. One, look at the synergy between God working and man working. So where do we derive our strength from? God. But notice what is our job. I'm not just sitting there waiting on a mountaintop, looking at my time, waiting for God to empower me. I'm not just sitting around playing video games, just waiting for God to empower me. I'm actually active. And in verse 11, it says, put on the what? armor of God. My job, the Christian's job is to be putting on the armor. What's God's job to give us the power to be able to stand. Do you see how it's a partnership? We're coming alongside God synergistically to pair up with him. I'm doing my job. And what is the Lord faithful in keeping his promise? He will give me the strength to endure. Here's number two service. When are we to lean into the Lord's strength? Well, what happens when we serve him? If I were to preach in my own strength, it wouldn't come out good. If you were to serve in your own strength, it's not going to come out good. When we serve, what do we do? Lean into the Lord. Look at Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9. Colossians 1. I don't know what time we have, by the way. Oh, got to roll. Colossians 1 and verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we have heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask That you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So we are to be filled with the spirit of wisdom and knowledge. We are to walk in a manner worthy, which means bearing fruit. How do we bear fruit? Verse 11. Strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. When do we lean on the Lord? When we are performing good works. What happens when you do good works? Who gets the glory? Let your light so shine before man that what? They see your good works and what do they do? Glorify your Father in heaven. When you are weak... You are strong, therefore God gets the glory. Here's number three. Turn to Philippians chapter four. Philippians chapter four. And this is the third time we are commanded to be strengthened by the Lord. And this is in every life circumstance. So you've been on the planet long enough. Do you understand and believe that life is not static, right? In life, it's an ebbs and a flow. There is a high and a low, and it's usually like this through life. Have you experienced the the mountain peaks and the, the times of, of, of good times in life? I'm sure you have. Have you experienced the valleys and the, the real trials and hardships of life? I'm sure you have. In any and all circumstances, what do we do? You lean into the Lord. So if everything's going great, I'm still leaning into his strength. So that I don't what fall, and when things are going terrible and I I don't have any power left, where do I go? I lean right into the Lord's strength. Philippians chapter four and verse eleven. Philippians four eleven, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. I know how to get along with humble means. I know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of be- being filled and going hungry, both having an abundance and suffering need. Paul, please, what is your secret? Verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now the hymn is Christ. What was his secret to life? What was his secret that no matter what life through, he was going to be a-okay? that the power he needed to get through was found in whom? Christ. And that was an infinite resource. How do I know that? Because he can do what? All things. Meaning, he has now become a limitless person because he has a limitless God, you know, powering the wind in his sails, being the fuel in his engine. So he's able to rev up. Now we'll close with this. How? Can I be strong? I understand I must be humbled and I understand I must lean into the Lord, but specifically, what do I do? And we'll close with this. Psalm 27 verse 13 and 14. Psalm 27 verse 13 and 14. Now this is David writing and it's probably one of the best chapters in all the Bible. Psalm 27 verse 13. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. There it is. Be strengthened. And let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. In verse 13, he said, I would have despaired. It's the word hope. I lost all hope in this life or I would have lost all hope in this life. And what he realizes is that God is willing to bless him in heaven, yes, but where? Specifically in verse 13. In the land of the living. David comes to this place and he says, I know that God can and will bless me in this life. In the here and the now. Verse 14 is how we do it. There's two commands in there. What are those commands? And then what's the second command? The, that two commands are wait for the Lord and wait for the Lord. And the idea is wait in faith for the Lord. So here's the idea. I know who I really am, weak. I know who Christ really is in me, strong. What must I then do? Wait in faith. What does that mean? So wait can mean two things. What it doesn't mean, sit around, do nothing. Like you, you're you waiting for your ride, you're waiting for your Uber, you're waiting for an email, I'm just sitting around doing nothing. That is not what the Bible means when it says wait for the Lord. What it means is be a waiter or a waitress to the Lord. David was telling me the other day, and I heard another pastor say the same thing. They had gone to Disneyland to Club, uh, is it Club 33? to Club 33, and it's this really high-end, super fancy uh, dinner that Disneyland has. It's really secluded, and I'm guessing only big corporations and big business can get in there. And what I've been told and what I've heard is the waiting staff. You take a sip of water, before you even put the glass down, they're already there refilling. David said, I went up to go to the bathroom, came back, and the, the napkin was there folded perfectly. Uh, The other pastor said, I went and got butter on a roll. I, I turned the other way, I looked back, my waiter who was standing behind me already replaced everything. That's the idea of waiting. You are serving the Lord hand and foot. You are making sure His desires are met. You are the one saying, can I help you with anything else? And as you are doing that faithfully, trustingly, the Lord begins to empower you more and more and more until you, like Paul, realize I was weak, but in my weakness, now I'm strong. So our job is what? Know who you really are. Know who you really are in Christ, powerful. And in the meantime, as you're seeking the Lord to give you the might you need, wait on him by faithfully serving him seeking his desires, and he will strengthen you. The last command, don't worry, we're not going to take 45 minutes on it. It's literally a couple words in Greek, be loving. And that's the last command. Be loving. Be agape. Be one who is selflessly giving themselves for the betterment of other people. Be a lover. And when you love you stand firm, you know what the enemy is doing, you're acting like a man, and you're submitting to the process of God strengthening you, you will be a powerful person. Amen? With that, First Corinthians is in the books, and we go on to our next thing. Amen? All right, let's pray, and we can go right into communion. Father, thank you for this time of gathering. Thank you for your word. Um, we thank you, God, for even the Corinthian error, because in wrong, we know how to do right. And so, Father, we thank you for this time. I pray for any of us, Lord, who are weak. We are more haughty than we ought to be. We think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. We're puffed up in our own mind, in our own heart. God, if that's us, I pray, Lord, that you would gently humble us, that you would graciously, Lord, open our eyes to see our error and so that we can repent. God, you have called us to be strong and mighty. But Lord, we must be faithful and wait in faith on the Lord. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for sending your son to die for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul would write to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23. And he writes, For I receive from the Lord that which I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then Paul gives a warning. And the warning is, be a Christian. Be right, pure in heart, meaning you've mended your ways, you've confessed your sin. And the Bible says, take the table with reverence. So that is what it means to take communion in a worthy way. You're a believer, you're doing it in reverence, and you're doing it with a pure heart. So we're going to take a time and pray. And if you're not a believer, I implore you to get be one. And if you're not walking right with the Lord, I implore you to repent. And if there is a relationship that needs to be mended, and you can't mend it now, and you you know prefer maybe not to, then just let the communion cup pass. Let the bread pass. Amen. With that, let's take this time to pray. And that is the end of this week's podcast. We thank you for joining us for another inspiring message. If you enjoyed this teaching, please take a moment and share it with others. If you're interested and would like to find out more information about our location time of worship service, or even what ministries we offer, we encourage you to visit our Facebook page at Journey Community Church of Montana, where you can find all that information and more. Again, on behalf of Journey Community Church of Montana, we thank you for tuning in. Have a blessed week, and we'll see you here next time.